to another episode of Last Week in Localization, the show where we talk about the latest of the, from the world of uh, localization, whether that is news, research, or events, or whatever else there is to know or that you should know if you are working or if you want to be working in this wonderful industry. So uh, today I have a very, very special guest with me, and that is Stella from Translators Without Borders. Hi, Stella. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Very good. Uh, it's really nice to have you. Um, I love the work that you guys do. And so it's a real honor to have uh, you on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, maybe, um, I mean, we've known each other for a few years now, so I could um, probably also introduce you, but I think it's nicer if you introduce yourself. So tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Stella. I've been working in the language service industry for quite some time now, working for uh, a few different language service providers, both in the UK and in Italy. Um, and so my background is in, let's say, languages and marketing. But I actually decided three years ago now to make a change. And um, I'd always followed the work of Translators Without Borders. And I um, decided to work for a cause that I believed in and somewhere where I felt I could make a difference. And so I joined Translators Without Borders three years ago, and I'm, I'm now head of language services there, leading a team of around 30 people um, doing community management, project management, operations, quality, um, and our language leads. And it's been an amazing experience to work with such a great team, um, enthusiastic and passionate team who are based all around, all around the world. I'm actually, I live in Italy, North Italy usually, although I am British, as you mm -hmm. might tell from my accent, but I'm actually in Dublin today where the sun is shining, oh, weirdly. Nice. Um, and yeah, so that's might explain my, my slightly unusual backdrop. But. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, sorry to everyone who's watching. I did the one thing that uh, Tucker told me not to do, and that is to go on a different tab while I'm um, live streaming. So that's why instead of seeing Stella for a few seconds, you saw a restream that we used to live stream this. So I'm sorry, I'm still learning. And um, I saw that there was a slight issue that I wanted to fix, but um, well, I think it's working well enough anyway. So I'm just gonna leave it as is. <laughs> so thank you very much for the introduction, um, Stella. I don't know. Um, um, before we go ahead now, I think it'd be also great if you can introduce Translators Without Borders um, briefly. I mean, you guys are very well known in the industry, but um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the work you, that you guys do. I have your website up here as well. Yeah, thank you. So like you say, I do, I think we are pretty well known in the language service industry. I've uh, been around for some time now, founded by Laurie Thick and Ross um, uh, in France, but actually in the 90s. But then we, the, the changing point came for us after the Haiti earthquake in 2010. Mm -hmm. And that's when we became uh, an official 501 registered uh, NGO in the, in the US. Not, um, and from then, we've basically been growing. So the initial idea was to help NGOs provide translations to NGOs by really harnessing the power of this amazing community that we have of translators. And from there, the, the whole thing has really expanded also thanks to the work of our um, executive director, Amy Ansari. And we've really, gone um we, we've gone through a massive evol evolution in the past few years um and we've gone beyond providing the the translation so this is what i was actually just explaining to sarah that earlier this year we actually decided that the time had come for us to evolve the brand and that doesn't mean change our brand it doesn't mean that we're not translators without borders anymore we are still translators without borders but we are also clear global and the reason that we decided to that we needed to do this is because a lot of the work that we have been doing and a lot of the need that we have seen shows us that within the humanitarian and development sectors, there is a huge gap when it comes to language and communication and guidance and support in these areas. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have been trying to fill over the years where we have seen that there is a need. 
And so be, beyond Translators Without Borders and the provision of language services to nonprofits and UN agencies, what we've also been doing is working a lot on um, research into languages, what language is spoken where, language mapping, which is essential in a crisis um, for the aid agencies to know what inf what language do we need to put this information out in. So if we have um, messaging announcements that we need to put out to the community to tell them where they need to go to stay safe, if it's not in the right language, then it's it's useless. And there is no database anywhere of what language is spoken where, obviously, because it's such a, a changing situation, especially mm -hmm. in a crisis, you have people who are moving around. So um, whenever there is a crisis situation or a humanitarian um, crisis, then what we aim to do is to use the available information and then combine that with our own um, research. Mm -hmm. And we also work together with other organizations so that they can um, ask questions about languages and communication preferences uh, when they are on the ground, and then we and then we can collate that data and feed it back to the other organisations. So that's mm -hmm. the clear insights, or that's a piece of the, of work that they do. Um, also, a lot of research into uh, languages and the the use of language. Then we also have clear tech, which is our focus on language technology. So mm -hmm. what we have been working on over the past few years is um, trying to build, help build the, the data and also practical language solutions for language technology in marginalized languages. So the languages that get left behind by big tech. And indeed, last mm -hmm. year during COVID, we were working together with um, a number of the big tech companies to okay. to build data for marginalized languages. So that's the, the Clear Tech Initiative. But wow. yeah, the important thing is that Translators Without Borders, we're, we're here to stay. Um, Translators Without Borders is what we, you know, very well known within the language service industry. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our community members, they really feel that, you know, it's, it's a big part of who they are and mm -hmm. also our past and who we are. So yeah. um, Translators Without Borders isn't going anywhere. We're just growing and expanding. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fantastic because um, like you said as well, or like we've, and what we've highlighted as well from NIMSI is um, that these days, you know, it's no longer just about translation anymore. There's a lot of um, services and a lot of needs that go beyond the pure provision of translation. And so, yeah, it's fantastic that an organization like yours is taking on such um, like really challenging and great tasks as well. Um, maybe we can illustrate this actually with one uh, map that you've um, given me just before we started. Uh, and that is the language map of Afghanistan. Um, can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, so this is actually, um, so, so as I mentioned, we do build these maps whenever we can. Mm -hmm. We've actually been trying to build as many maps as possible and we have them all available on our website. Um, so th the information that we have about Afghanistan at the moment is, uh, I think you're sharing the map, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we, we did some work uh we, we have been actually trying to do a lot of work even prior to this crisis situation. It was one of the key areas that we had identified as being um, at risk from also a communication and language perspective, mm -hmm. as well as being at risk of a humanitarian situation. So we have been working with our partners for some time, doing a number of different projects in Afghanistan. And the map that you're sharing was actually put together in 2020 when we were working together with another organization. Mm -hmm. um, and we were actually doing research into the communication preferences and basically a snapshot of how people in Afghanistan get their information on a daily basis mm -hmm. and also what languages are spoken. So from the map, it kind of shows you that there's, in Afghanistan, there are between 40 and 59 languages that are spoken. So even though Dari and Pashto are by far 
the largest languages um, and cover the, the majority of the population. There are a few other languages, such as Uzbeki mm. and Turkmeni, um, Urdu, that are spoken by a fairly significant proportion of the population. Mm -hmm. And then you also have some much smaller languages and then um, a lot of minority languages as well that are spoken. But I think the, the other interesting thing about the communication situation in Afghanistan is that uh, this is also a low literacy context. Okay. Yeah. So I think the overall um, literacy figures are that there are 38 um, percent of the population is wow. literate so we're actually looking at less than half of the of the population mm. and also there there is um, a difference between the literacy rate among men and the literacy rate among women yeah. so 52 percent for men so half of men are literate and just 24 percent for women so that's wow. one in four women who are literate so of course that then has an impact on mm. how you communicate with people. And so what our study showed was actually the best way and the most used way to get information is community radio. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 especially in rural areas, um, radio remains the primary information source in, um, in rural Afghanistan. So about 75% of households are relay, relying on radio to get their, their information. And most radio stations are broadcasting in a mixture of Dari and Pashto. And then depending on the geographical mm -hmm. area, okay. the, the kind of proportion of you know, the languages that they use <laughs> will change according to the local, the, the local makeup right, of the, of yeah. the languages. Oh, that's cool. Um, a quick question about the map, actually. Um, what do the different colors mean? Do you know? Is it just level of? Is that like a concentration? Because Kabul is all red here, for example, and then it's really dense around um, here. I'm, so. Do you know? I have to admit that I'm not a, um, an expert on this map, so uh, no I don't actually know. <laughs> I didn't put this map together. No problem. No. Um, so I, I read the report and I didn't um, study the map. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> I think here the colors are explained. But, uh, here, I think, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the map itself is you, you can select right amongst the different um, community mm. radios, and, you know, and you can and and you can drill down into the information. So what we've been doing lately is putting together these uh, more dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like it. Um, it's a great map. Maps where where we're cross referencing different data sources mm -hmm. so that then you can drill down and get the information that you want. No. Well, okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's continue with the conversation for now. Um, instead of the, the map, I mean, even though I really like the map, I have to say. It's a, Everybody loves a good map, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we're um, like, uh, it's not so much easier to consume information that way, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And like you said, I mean, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I want to come back to the whole um, literacy level because that is something I was not that aware of. I mean, it doesn't surprise me as much that there's, the literacy rate that it is lower among women um, because, I mean, I guess historically that used to be the way everywhere and also um, knowing that for, I think for, a, wasn't it that for a while um, women were not allowed to be taught in schools and um, I think now again all the girls schools have closed as well. Yeah. So yeah, considering that of course that is not a surprise but that's of course um yeah, that's that's a very very important thing to uh, to consider for communication methods and something that um, maybe we might easily overlook, for, or at least us who are not as involved in the topic as you are. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, I think that, and the reason why it's also important is that, you know, again, if an if an aid organization is coming along with their written information that they then mm. plan to distribute. You know, then we can go back to them and explain, well, you can distribute that. We can translate this for you. But how much use is this actually going to be? You yeah. know, we know that print media is limited um, for a number of reasons, not only the literacy, also mm -hmm. the, the logistics and the infrastructure. Um, so what use is that going to be? So um, and what we have done again this uh, over the last few years because of contexts where there is low literacy, 
we've been very much um, promoting the idea of audio translations. So in the Northeast Nigeria, which is where we have um, an ongoing presence now for a number of years, we provide audio translations as standard together with a, the written translation because you know our data showed that the literacy rates were, were low. Mm -hmm. And therefore we, we have a tool actually to kind of streamline the process so that when our translators are um, translating within the translation environment, then there is a functionality where they can just record. It's very super simple, just record the translation. And then at the end that gets compiled into an MP3 file, which can then just be sent back to the partner and can be used on community radio stations or to be broadcast in, um, in the camps. Um, so, so yeah, it, that, and that's a lot of the work that we're, we're doing is going beyond you know, somebody saying, oh, we need this translated into French and our data will show, well, actually, maybe you need this in another language mm -hmm. because not that many people speak French or maybe you need an audio translation because not many people can read. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's providing that's kind of going beyond, you know, it's taking on that role of an advisor and mm -hmm. guidance, which is similar again to what um, LSPs do these days, right? You're not just yeah. a simple agency getting one document and passing it forwards and backwards. There's a lot more work that goes into the language service industry. Absolutely. I think there's a lot more of this, what we said, the kind of becoming a strategic partner and advisor and what you mentioned as well, um, providing uh, insights as well and data. And like, not, of course, that is something that we do at NIMSI, but um, it's also something I feel like that is becoming a, a lot more um, relevant in general that people like, like you said, you know, you go out and you do the work and you look at what languages are actually spoken. Then you provide that information so that people can really make an informed decision of what is really needed rather than, you know, just request something based on assumptions or on something that is outdated because again you made an excellent point in your introduction as well that um, it's really hard to map languages because well you know people speak them and then people move around and then <laughs> the languages move around with that so actually how do you keep those maps up to date then or is it just because you said you have people on the ground and they report back because that sounds really challenging yeah, so that's been one of the big wins for us is actually um, now uh, all the big aid agencies, when they arrive, they, they've included our four questions into their questionnaires. Mm -hmm. So basically asking people, you know, what, it, what language do they speak at home? What is their preferred uh, way of receiving information? Or what, what um, communication channel do they prefer? And so those questions... Uh, through our advocacy work are now included as standard and then we and then that information comes back to us because we have very close relationships with many of these partners and then we're able to use that data but of course um, the Afghanistan map of course was which was developed in 2020 so it's fairly recent mm -hmm. um, but of course it will go out of date um, so so that is that is actually a challenge and we don't have the solution yeah. for that challenge also because just getting the information for one map uh, it, it's quite a lot of work i, I bet yeah uh, absolutely we, we tend to update them when when there is a, a crisis situation or when we have an opportunity to work mm. with a partner to to do so right when it becomes more uh, relevant again because mm -hmm. like you said the work is uh, that, that because it is so much work i can imagine that you focus on those that are um especially needed uh, during certain times that makes sense yeah yeah so then um can you tell me a little bit we already mentioned some of the challenges um we're specifically looking at afghanistan right now just because it's um the most uh, current um crisis and it's in the news of course everyone's concerned everyone's talking about afghanistan um of course there are still many other ongoing crises as well but um i wanted to specifically talk about afghanistan for now um what other um, challenges are there when it comes to translation and communication or maybe what challenges do the interpreters, uh, sorry, the I'm so used to talking about interpreting, <laughs> what challenges do the translators face on the ground? Well, yeah, I mean, it is an issue concerning both translators and interpreters mm -hmm. and it's been in the news an awful lot. So in a way, this is good that you know, for once I'm in a, in a very obviously bad situation that the, the issues um, regarding the Afghan translators and interpreters 
has been very well, well publicized mm -hmm. around the, the globe, the situation that you have people who over the past however long have been working as translators and interpreters, and now suddenly they are very much, um, you know, the, the threat to these linguists is very real. Yeah. Um, and uh, like anything, it, it's not a simple situation. Uh, a lot of these linguists, um, they, they may be working for many different employers. So I think in the mm -hmm. news, it's been really been focusing on those uh, interpreters who've been working with the, with the military. Yeah. But that's not the only situation. There's also um, linguists who've been working with different governments or different humanitarian agencies, mm -hmm. different contractors. And also they may have been working for a number of different employers, like any, you know, uh, yeah. freelance <laughs> linguist. Exactly. So, so when it comes to the situation of um, the, 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 the interpreters managing to get out of Afghanistan, it's not so clear cut about you know which country will be taking responsibility for which mm. person and of course because we all saw the the just awful chaotic situation yes. um, in Afghanistan with the with this evacuation mm. effort that ended a few days ago um, and so within that context uh, we ourselves we, we don't really do interpreting as such but we we did receive requests from a number of our community members to see if if we could help them so mm -hmm. we have been trying to uh, do what we can but in our case we, we don't actually employ any yeah. of uh, the community members they're not official employees of, of twv so while we we are, can and and we're trying to help members of our team and our language community mm -hmm. stay safe and informed um it is a very uh, tricky situation um i think one of the th the, the important messages is that uh you no know, this this issue has been so much in the news and it is a really important issue but at the same time there is an element of um not putting by raising awareness about this issue we must also be mindful of not putting those translators and interpreters who are left in afghanistan at risk yeah um so because we receive you know we received information that that any translators and interpreters who may have been even just been you know been perceived to have been supporting foreign organizations and again it might not be just the military it could also be humanitarian mm -hmm. organizations um or even working with international corporations um those people are now at risk and therefore we need to be careful so there have been some social media posts that have been doing the rounds showing translators and interpreters in afghanistan um and just by well-being well-meaning people perhaps wanting to raise awareness they could actually be putting those people at, right. at risk yeah. yeah that's a very good point as well to be mindful of that where you're yeah, trying so to do something good but it has the opposite it, effect that is yeah sorry so so that was one aspect that i think it is important just mm -hmm. to reiterate that if you do um if you are talking about this issue and of course the more people that talk about it the better also because today it's today's news but mm -hmm. tomorrow as you mentioned you know there are other crises yeah. in the world uh today it's all about afghanistan um in a few weeks time let's not forget about the translators and interpreters who are still there so it is yeah. important to keep on talking about exactly. it but just to do so in a in a mindful way so to avoid using any names um and then also if you do know people in afghanistan the other thing to be mindful of is that communication channels could be being monitored mm -hmm. um so the so yeah that that's something that we've also been mindful of at twb mm -hmm. and um yeah that's actually been a bit of a challenge for us as we try to respond to this crisis mm -hmm. so so we have a situation where typically you know a lot of our community members we have community members all around the globe and um 
or it is actually quite typical that when there is a crisis situation, often the people who are located in country, they may not be able to help because they may have lost their internet connection, they may have lost their house, um, they may be living a very difficult situation themselves. Yeah. So that is not the first time that we have come across this issue. But in this case, it's particularly sensitive just because of that additional measure of, of risk and threat to to um, linguists who may have contact outside yeah. um, the country. So we, we have been for our own community members um, making sure that any information about them has been anonymized. We've mm -hmm. tried to ensure that not, there's no information that is public. And we've just been providing advice also um, sharing, actually, this is general guidance that the uh, various humanitarian organizations have been sharing, just helping people understand what they need to do to eliminate their digital footprint. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been doing that. And for now, we have decided that we're not going to communicate with any of our community members who we know are in Afghanistan mm -hmm. for um, until we have a better idea of the situation. Um, we just feel that that's the best way not to put anybody at risk. Wow. That's crazy that you have to be even that it's such a struggle uh, to <laughs> to help like that as well. That we're, Because you're saying the communication channels will probably be monitored and so you can't even get in touch with the people on the ground because you would expose them to more risk. So that sounds incredibly complex to like try and do do something for your people without putting them more at risk. Yes. Wow. I can't yeah. Imagine. Um, and we've, we have received requests, like I think I mentioned, of support mm -hmm. from our own community and we are very concerned about them. And so we will while we can't help them directly, we obviously want to share as much information as we can and provide any support that we can for them. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, of course. And um, so I guess without, <laughs> again, revealing something that would put people at risk, but how, how do uh, um, translators and interpreters or just linguists in general um, Like, what do they do in these situations, you know? Because I'm, so like, as you said before, this is not a, um, a new issue, sadly. We've, in our community, in our industry, we've talked about this for a long time. I've read about it uh, a lot as well. And of course, now it's a very current issue again. And it's actually great, like you said, that it's in the news so that more people are aware of the situation. Um, because I feel like in general, often, you know, the, The linguists, the translators, and the interpreters, they get overlooked. Um, we talked about this in a report as well on vicarious trauma, and I know you have something to say on that topic as well. Um, that often you have, like, when you're in the military, maybe, or in the police, or in other kind of um, extremer um, groups, let's say, or even in the medical setting, they often have support systems in place because they know that their people go into uh, situations where they might be traumatized. But they tend to forget about the interpreters or the translators that are also involved in the situation and they don't get that kind of support and they, you know, <clears throat> get this uh, experience the same level of trauma or even more intensely if it goes more or less through them as a communication, uh, I want to say vessel, but that's a, not a bit of a negative term because I know, <laughs> you know, there's a human there, but in the sense that it really goes through them as well. Um, so I think it's, It's great that there's finally been some attention being given to the linguists in these crisis situations because it's, yeah, it's way beyond time. Um, so I actually opened like a whole bunch of topics at once here now with this. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I want to uh, come back first. And that is, um, so I have always asked myself this question, you know, when um, linguists... Um, help in a crisis situation like you said either with the military or government organizations or international organizations humanitarian organizations and then something happens the crisis gets worse there's a new regime like right now and then um they have such a problem to get out and get protection and get a maybe a visa get protection from the countries they worked for 
And I never fully understood why, especially if you had such a long relationship. Some I know have worked with them for years and years, like decades even sometimes. And where even like I write that some soldiers said, oh, he was like part of the team and now he's just left behind. How can that be in like a <laughs> supposedly modern world where like Western nations are involved in this and then they just leave their people behind? I don't understand. Like what's is it because they work for different organizations like you said and then no country feels responsible or how does that what's the reason being given basically well that's a very good question and i don't pretend to have mm -hmm. the answers to that but i think what is at the core is as we kind of know this is kind of the language services it's always uh you know a, a profession that tend that people tend to forget about you know yeah. interpreters don't have an official status i know mm -hmm. where in in italy for example you will have an official register of of lawyers and an official register of accountants but there isn't an official register mm -hmm. of of language professionals mm -hmm. right yeah you can have court interpreters but if you're yeah. a professional translator you don't have the same status that other professionals have so i think that the issue that we're seeing in, in afghanistan it's really kind of echoed in all sorts of contexts all, all around the globe right um the, and the other thing is that often the linguists who are working in these high-risk um, um, areas they actually may not be Uh, linguists by by um, training or you know mm -hmm. by by education, and sometimes they they are people who maybe have another profession, but that they are un unable to carry out because of the situation in their country. Yeah. They may, so they may have been trained to they, they may be doctors, they may be lawyers themselves, um, and so actually they they transition to becoming a linguist because they see that there is that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when there is a crisis situation, the humanitarian organizations, when they go in, they need interpreters and cultural mediators to help them in that situation. Mm -hmm. And often the people that they are employing are not uh, actually professional linguists. They're often, you know, kind of maybe Uh, young people who've got a good education mm -hmm. level, they have a good level of English, they speak the local language, um, they may have been abroad. So those are the people who are working with humanitarian organizations. And that's actually another area that we've been working in as well, because we've seen that obviously the, these are uh, uh, educated people, but they don't have the right training. Mm -hmm. And as we know, being an interpreter or cultural mediator It is a profession. There are certain things that you have to know. There are certain te techniques. There is yeah. there is ethics that comes into it. And so what we have actually uh, been doing is we do have a crash course in humanitarian interpreter training wow. that we've mm -hmm. been running for a number of years now in Bangladesh and, and Nigeria. We've actually trained, I think, thousands, literally thousands wow. of um, interpreters. And we do it through the large agency. So maybe Save the Children in, in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. they've employed some people to do interpreting for them, but these people are not professional interpreters. And so we have a, a three-day intensive course to teach them the basics of interpretation and also to teach them, uh, give them some background into the sort of topics that they may be coming um, coming across. Mm -hmm. And that is another element which, again, really sensitive because within humanitarian context, then you're going to come across very sensitive um, subject matters. And as you mentioned, traumatic subject yeah. matters. So there may be a lot of conversations around um, gender-based violence, um, the, the, the PSEA, the, the, um, the Prevention of Sexual Exploitation and Abuse, mm -hmm which is like a massive topic in the humanitarian um, sector. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the interpreters are in a unique position to be able to identify or flag those situations where people may be at risk and therefore they have uh, a responsibility. If they have the right information and they understand about people's rights, 
and they know the right channels to be able to flag those situations and provide feedback, um, then that is something that, that they are in a unique position to be able to do because they may see situations that, that other the, the, the ADA organization themselves may not actually be able to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and then they may also and probably will uh, be subjected to very it could be very traumatic information about you know war crimes violence and that may be uh, pretty upsetting in itself um so those are all the challenges that are that are coming into play that is just crazy absolutely and I mean, like I said, I've, I've looked into the topic of um, vicarious trauma uh, before. NIMSI is what we, this article here introduces the topic a bit on the NIMSI website and can be accessed for free for anyone who wants just a little bit of an introduction to it first. Um, and then we have a more in-depth report about this as well at NIMSI that's gated for NIMSI clients. Um, but my point being as well that even for me as an interpreter, I didn't even consider this first, you know, that this is a thing, vicarious trauma in interpreters. But once I started talking to people and um, it made so much sense and that and it's, it's such an overlooked uh, topic, even within the interpreting community. And, and that's just the crazy, like, how can we expect people uh, outside the industry to know about this? If even within the industry, not enough people know about it. And sometimes interpreters I talked to, I interviewed some interpreters for this topic and they didn't realize they, they had this until we started kind of talking about it. And they were like, oh yeah, I think I have this. And then I talked to them and they had all these crazy assignments. And yeah, some of them are placed in the middle of, war zones or end of life situations and other situations there and then you're just thinking wow you know especially if you're not trained for this and people just think of interpreters just like as just the ones that communicate <laughs> you know you just need to know the two languages without understanding that you're also involved in the whole situation that's there i mean you're not like a device <laughs> you're a human and also like uh interpreters um take in the emotional information as well and convey that as well and of course over time that left that that leaves a mark um, especially on the brain i think after a while the brain basically thinks that this happened to you because of your you're also speaking in the first person right and these kind of things so you're internalizing things and so it's a very important topic um yeah i always think when, when i think about the the linguists who do this amazing and absolutely crucial work in crisis zones all around the world um i yeah I, i'm so amazed by, by what they do uh, i think they're incredibly brave um i always yeah i always wonder how it can be that they are being treated so poorly by uh countries and organizations that hold them that claim uh, that they are so humanitarian and so forward thinking and that they care about people in these crisis regions but then they leave their own friends and colleagues basically behind who significantly also contribute to their success by uh, being the communication uh, aid and the cultural mediators so i think that's absolutely shocking and sometimes i wonder why people even do the work when like do they not know that this is a massive risk or is it just so bad the crisis that they don't care and they're like okay on the one end i want to help or this is also the only job i can do right now i don't know um yeah i I think it's a combination obviously there are all sorts of situations i do think there is an element of well is it natural to want to help your 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 your, um you know your fellow citizens so if there's something that you can do to help then you're going to do it and if you happen to get a job as well obviously if you've lost your job but you realize that you can help out as um as a linguist as as an as an interpreter or a cultural mediator then then you're going to do it as well so i do think that there are a combination of Mm -hmm. of different situations um i think maybe but it, it, you, you're totally right that it is it is one of those examples of of again you know language professionals getting overlooked um so i just maybe i could just highlight also the work that that red t does you know they Absolutely. they have this yeah. um a couple of initiatives actually so they have this open letter project um which is really working to build they're doing a lot of advocacy and really trying to build awareness about these issues um 
trying to involve uh, language associations, but also academia and humanitarians, writing letters to governments and to intergovernmental agencies and looking to implement change yeah. and really making this this issue of um, of the risks to translators and interpreters known. Um, and I believe that they actually have a, a petition at the moment uh, mm -hmm. called End the Targeting of Translators and Interpreters. Uh, and they're looking to get more signatures on that. So if, if your yeah. listeners want to look that up and, and sign that, then that's something concrete that people can do. Thank you for highlighting that as well. And yeah, definitely, of course, Red Tea are absolutely an organization to mention here as well. And I actually do plan to still have an interview with them as well about the topic. Um, I see a question here from, from Tucker. Hi, Tucker, on your day off, tuning in. Um, a tough question to answer and to ask is who qualifies as an interpreter? If we are talking about asylum or other programs, uh, then is this for the official interpreters or how can we include these? And how can, I guess, include, can we include interpreters that are doing the work even though they are not official interpreters? Right. That is a good question. <laughs> and I think so. Yeah, because I've talked about both situations, you know, on the one hand, we're saying that translators and interpreters are professionals and um, that they should be recognized as such. On the other hand, uh, as I've already mentioned, it's it's true that a lot of the linguists in humanitarian contexts are not language professionals by um, by 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 trade. Right. Um, so we need to recognize that. Uh, and. I think that's okay. I think that there is a need for for both, and and actually, even for if we if we think about our own organisation, so Translators Without Borders, anybody can sign up to join our community, right? Mm -hmm. And that that we have a reason for that is that in the past, Translators Without Borders they had quite specific criteria about who could sign up to the community, who could join, um, and there were quite strict assessments, and um, the reason why we decided to take all of that away was because there are situations and there are languages for which there are no professional translators and exactly. interpreters. There are no recognized qualifications and we need to be able to get people on board very quickly if there is a, a crisis situation. So mm -hmm. as I mentioned, you know, often the humanitarian organizations, they're targeting the the young people who are educated who speak English. Well, we do exactly the same thing with with our translator community when there is a crisis. We reach mm -hmm. out to people who we think could translate, right? They're not translators. Often they may be English teachers or they may be training in other languages, but we think they can also speak a local language. Um, and we we reach out to them and explain, you know, that 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 we, that we need their help and that they can translate like vital information, and that we will provide them with training. Mm -hmm. And as part of our training, that's also a transferable skill, right? That they could then, if they wanted, apply within. Um, other situations so while some people might say oh but you know this is almost lowering the bar right when it comes to professional linguists there is the other side of it yeah but if there is no language association if there is no language qualification then you do need these people but maybe this is also a time when i can also mention to your to your listeners as as you may have imagined right now we do have this increased um a, a, a lot of requests coming in for for Dari and Pashto mm -hmm. um, translations, and and we have, as always, when there is a crisis situation, we have received a lot of new translator signups this year. Um, sorry, this just in this past month, as a direct result of the of the work that we've been doing, publicising this need, and um, we do have a lot of um, translations in progress. But what we really uh what would be really really useful is if we could get um professional experienced mm -hmm. Ari and Pashto um translators to help out because w the way that that we are working is that we then we have the the translators who can trans anybody can translate but then we do have quality assurance processes you know yeah. we have the the four eyes and it's always good if we can get either um 
either a language service provider or a professional linguist just to help us identify you know who is who is who, who is translating the content well mm-hmm. at the same time sorry i think i'm going off topic but at <laughs> no, the same time good. keep going <laughs> <laughs> at the same time uh, another of the challenges that we come across a lot is around the quality for a lot of the languages that we're working in and actually Dari and Pashto uh, we've done we already did a lot of work on Dari and Pashto over the last 12 months because we had been doing a lot more translation into those languages and what the issue that we come across for Dari and Pashto but also a lot of other languages is that trying to establish quality becomes very very difficult um particularly for the types of content that we're translating my internet really sorry <laughs> Um, but here we are again with Stella, um, because I think, um, yeah, we cut you off mid sentence and I would really like to still continue the conversation. Um, so I'm really sorry for everyone who was watching. I have no idea what happened, um, but I'm glad we're back. So we're going to seize the moment. Um, Stella, um, I'm not sure exactly where we lost you. I think it was, um, around where you were talking about, uh, Dari and Pashtu, um, you had already said that you need more people for the quality assurance part. And then I think after yeah. that, um, my internet cut out, unfortunately. Okay. I was just talking about the quality challenges that we have with, with um, such languages, especially in the humanitarian context, because there isn't a recognized terminology. You know, you don't have such um, a wealth of, of content and information on those topics in those languages and so therefore you know even working out well what is the right term in this for, for, for this concept mm-hmm. it does become a, a challenge um and then just the, the last thing i wanted to mention on the topic was that yeah within this context as well we have received requests from language service providers reaching out to us saying you know we're getting requests for legal documents legal translations for diary and pashto um, can you help us out? You know, because so a lot mm-hmm. of language service providers they struggle with these, with these languages. So for our more experienced um, community members, we've been putting them in touch with, with language service providers as well, so that they can help out with those uh, more complex translations where you definitely do need that uh, professional expertise of both of the subject matter and of the of the language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I want to briefly go back on what you said as well about or what Tucker also brought up with um, who can be an interpreter. And um, I always find that a very fascinating topic because we tend to talk a lot about uh, certifications and you also saying that it's important uh, with the recognition and the status or that there is no status. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. We There's so much, um, I feel like it's been overlooked this um, what, that there's sometimes like a need for languages and the need for those languages is, uh, well, not tomorrow or in three months or in a year when, you know, you have found the right person or when you've set up the certification, but like the need is right now. And then, you know, you just take whoever you can find uh, who is able to speak both of those languages. And so I think that's a really, really important point to make because there's maybe the ideal that we're striving towards, you know, of course, ideally you want to have people that are educated and certified and all that perfect setup, but sometimes that is just not possible. Even either there's no, no people for that or the certification, um, you can't even get tested for it. Sometimes there's no test available for certain language combinations. And also, like you said, sometimes the situation changes overnight and then you need a new language and uh, you need people on the ground. Um, so I think this is something really, really important to highlight and something that always needs to be um, in the back of our minds as well. But at the same time, I feel like this shouldn't be um, a hindrance when it comes to um, official recognition for the work maybe that people do. Maybe that's a different way of phrasing that, but... Maybe as soon as someone performs those tasks, yeah, whether they are officially qualified and registered or what, but maybe once they start performing that task, especially working with the government organizations or the international um, humanitarian organizations, um, that they should maybe be placed on some, on some sort of list so that they can get protection or something like that. I feel like that should be doable and that should be kept right. separate, whether you are an official interpreter or not, you're doing the work, you're helping there. And so you should be protected as well. Yeah, no, I, I think I think um, you're definitely right. And I think that's something that we should all work towards as a 
as a as an industry to, towards um, the, the protection of translators and interpreters around the world. Exactly. Okay, um, Stella, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Um, and we talked, I, I, I'm already um, using up more than more of your time than um, I told you I would. So thank you for staying a bit longer. Um, is there anything we haven't highlighted yet? Because otherwise I would move on to what the industry can maybe do or people out there to help uh, you guys and the people on the ground in the crisis zones as well. Yeah, no, I think we did cover a lot of ground. So um Yeah, so how can yeah, the industry I just think help? It's great to, so how can the industry help? Okay, so um, I already mentioned, you know, the, the work of Red Tea and, mm -hmm. and the petition that they have. Um, other ways that they can help for, for us in particular, you know, we're receiving, we're, we're working together with a lot of organizations. We've received uh, a lot of additional requests, um, working on a lot of projects into Pashto and Dari um, in particular. So if anybody has capacity in those languages or has contacts in those languages, then it would be great to um, get in touch with people. And also for anybody who doesn't, if you can just amplify our message and share on social media, then that would be good as well. As I mentioned, because we can't work with our community members in Afghanistan, we're targeting diaspora communities. Um, And so, yeah, that that would be that's something very concrete and um, something that, that 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 people could could help us with, um, because in in addition to we're, we're currently we're sort of we're supporting organisations who are still in country, but what we're what we're going to be seeing or what we are already seeing is this uh, these this migration. So we're already working with organizations also in the United States and, and um, actually in Mexico with Afghan refugees who are arriving in the country and who, who need support there. So um, we're expecting this, this demand to continue for quite some time. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, I also want to point out that um, Tucker has uh, placed the link for the uh, open letter from Red Tea in the comment section on LinkedIn. So that was something that you mentioned earlier as well, Stella. Um, so yeah, whoever, um, if you're interested in supporting this, and I urge you to, um, please um, check it out, uh, click on the link and um, Yeah, as uh, Stella said, uh, do what you can. You gave out some great tips at the beginning as well, how people can do it in the right way, <laughs> follow the best practices and how to support people on the ground without putting them in more danger, which seems tricky, but also doable. So um, yeah, thank you very much, Stella. I really appreciate this. This was really insightful and um, you answered a lot of my um, burning questions that I've had for a long time now. So thank you very much. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for um, inviting us and giving us this opportunity to, to speak about um, speak about this topic. And, and let's hope that we carry on talking about this topic for even when it's no longer in our newspapers. Exactly. I agree. Yes. Let's keep highlighting this issue and yeah, work uh, on it together. Not just you guys and Red Tea who are fully in this, but the whole industry should support this. So... Uh, with that, uh, thank you so much um, for joining. Uh, everyone at home, thank you for watching. And <laughs> sorry again for the tech slip up uh, that I had twice during this episode. So um, I'm still learning. So thank you for staying anyway. And thank you again, Stella. <laughs> yeah, Bye. thank you. Thank you. Bye.